Okay. Now, if you would, uh, we're going to have a reading this morning. If you're able to comfortably, would you stand up and uh, prepare your heart to hear the word of God? Matthew 16:13 through 28. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged his disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul or what shall a man give in return for his soul for the son of man is going to come with angels in glory of the father and then he will repay each person according to what he has done truly I say to you there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the son of man coming in his kingdom father thank you for um, your word And we ask uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit that that word would do its work to point us to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Holy Spirit, come and uh, lead us. We don't want to make a one-time declaration of our willingness to follow today. Lord, we want to develop a, a habit of daily decisions to choose you day after day, moment after moment, in the power and in the suffering. Lord Jesus, we love you. Give us grace to follow. Amen can be seated. <clears throat> We're in a 10-year series <laughs> in the book of Mark, a four-month series in the book of Mark, and I've skipped to Matthew 16 to get this Mark 8 passage. Peter's declaration that, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, the Anointed One, the Ruler of all things, and uh, coupled with um, uh, Jesus Uh, pronouncement to Peter that when he denies suffering or would pull suffering from the cause of Christ, that he's he's speaking the words of the enemy. In a lot of ways, I think this is the hardest message so far in the series to to speak on. Because the, um, 
you know, we've seen the, we've talked about the kingdom of God, about the Holy Spirit, power over uh, the demonic forces, forgiveness, healing, uh, commitment, the gates of hell not prevailing against a powerful church built by Jesus himself. Um, the, the, uh, the power of intimacy, holy intimacy with God over the spirit of religion. Easy stuff. <laughs> Easy stuff. This morning we get to see the balance of the now and the not yet in the kingdom. And we've been talking about this now and the not yet of the kingdom. There's a sense in which if Jesus says, I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And I'll give you the keys to the kingdom so that what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then what do we expect from that Messiah? A powerful church, a powerful and victorious church. And we live in a powerful and victorious church. But if that same man, God, son of God, creator of all things, who died and rose again on our behalf, says, if you really want to follow me, then you need to deny yourself, take up your cross every day and come after me. Then what we can expect from that is a suffering and a persevering church. And so I just want you to see in the middle of this series about the kingdom of God that we have a, a single calling to Jesus, but Jesus had a dual calling on earth. And that was to release the power of God from heaven to beat down sin in the world, but also to allow sinful people the power to walk through life in suffering. I mean, I would much rather talk about the power than the suffering. But when, uh, when we talk about Jesus... Um, proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel. I think sometimes as vineyard people, we think proclamation of the gospel, say the words, demonstration of the gospel, heal the sick, feed the poor, give the prophetic word, cast out the demon, right? And that's true. But if you think about it, was there a more powerful demonstration of the good news of Jesus than an innocent man willingly choose to allow his body to be beaten Stuck on a cross, bloodshed to pay for our sins. There's no more powerful declaration of the kingdom of God than the power to walk through life, even when it means suffering. So, man, I'd like to give the power message. That's more fun. But this one's in the Bible, and I don't get to skip over it. I'm a, for those out there in radio land... I'm a middle-aged, slightly overweight, receding hairline, relatively affluent, highly educated, white male who lives in a wealthy suburb in the Midwest of the United States of America, the richest country anywhere. And it's real hard to talk with any integrity about suffering. I've, uh, I've traveled in the world some, so I've crossed borders into countries where they asked me the questions that you would think you'd never have to hear. Do you have any guns? Do you have any drugs? Do you have any Bibles? The three things that the communists were afraid of many years ago. And many people who suppress man are still afraid of. And I've sat across the... uh, I mean, I've been followed in Eastern Europe. I've been uh, uh, um, taken out by police. I've gone to the police station. I've been not beaten, but questioned... And fearful, I've sat across the um, the table from uh, former Muslims, Iranians who have been beaten and imprisoned for their faith, 
I know people who have friends who were killed for their faith. And yet, when I talk about suffering and sacrifice and following Jesus, I don't feel like I can hold a candle to many, many in the world. You realize last year there were 170,000 people killed for their faith. How many did we know by name? It's a hard message. Let's go back to the children's video. At least I'm in good company. Peter didn't want to hear about suffering either, right? Peter didn't have any desire to hear the Messiah, who he'd seen all this power. I mean, Mark, you know, up to this point where we've been in Mark, feeding of the 5,000, demons running, authority, healing, blessing, all amazing stuff, incredible teaching. Wow, this could be the guy. This guy's serious. I mean, I think Peter was up for like, what's next, you know? Let's rule the earth. And Jesus says, well, there's another part of this kingdom message, and it's the kingdom of suffering. So Peter just gets an A-plus on the Who is Jesus exam and immediately turns around and says to God, you don't know what you're doing. Isn't that wild? Are we any different? I mean, am I any different? I want the power But when the Lord calls me into obedience, that might mean suffering. And he says, don't just bear it, but choose it. Don't just bear it, but choose it. I go, God, I'm really not sure you know what you're talking about. Let's go back to who are you? I got that one right. Don Williams uh, is a theologian in the Vineyard Movement and has done a lot of writing. This is what he says. Jesus breaks the messianic mold and pours radically new content into it. This is regarding his conversation with Peter. Rather than marching on Jerusalem with swords gleaming and blood flowing, and you know Peter was looking for that, Jesus marches on Jerusalem where his blood will flow. So Peter gets a serious mind warp right here. Man, I thought you were the king, the Messiah, the power, the glory, the kingdom's coming. And Jesus says, yeah, it's here actually, but not fully. We've got some work to do in the earth before it comes in its fullness. And so Jesus reveals not just his identity, God's son, Messiah, but also his purposes in the world. And this is the, uh, this is the tension that we have to carry if we're really going to follow Jesus. I mean, the Jesus of the book. This is the tension. He's the Davidic warrior king, and he's the suffering servant. He shows us the crown And also the cross. And if we're going to follow him, we'll willingly take both. You know what's interesting to me is, with a rare exception, and I can think of a couple of times when Jesus kind of foreshadows with the disciples, but almost never do you see, you open the Bible in the Gospels, you know, chapter 1, verse 1, and Jesus told them that day, get ready, we're healing people. He, He never told them what was coming. You never see Jesus saying, other than when he told Peter, hey, you're going to blow it later on. Peter's like, "Eh, you're stupid again. I'll never do that. (laughs) Cock-a-doodle-doo. You never see that. This is what Jesus' message is. Follow me. Where I go, you go. Don't worry about what's coming. Don't worry about where I'm leading. I mean, when Peter, when, uh, when Jesus says he's going to suffer and going to have to die and raise on the third day, Peter didn't even hear that last part. He just immediately begins to rebuke the Son of God and says, Never! 
Far be it from you. In other words, how could you be associated with anything like that? That will never happen. And Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. Uh, Some commentators uh, reading the Bible think that that might actually be a call to discipleship. You know, we see that as, get behind me, Satan. You're in my way, you know, away from me. But some people say, no, maybe what he's really saying is, listen, if you're going to talk like Satan and try to lead me down a path God hasn't called me, why don't you get behind me and I'll show you where we're going? It's a call to discipleship, maybe. Get behind me. Person who thinks like Satan, you're thinking like man, not like God. And and Peter has got to be thinking, what kind of a God is this? He's really blown my mind. Discipleship, following Jesus in his power and in his suffering, isn't a one-time declaration. It's daily decision after daily decision after daily decision. I mean, discipleship, following Jesus with all the power and through the suffering isn't a one-time declaration. You know, Jesus doesn't call us just to be converted. He doesn't call us just to be saved for eternity. That's a bonus round. That's beautiful. Forever in heaven without sin to keep us from God. Praise God for that. But he doesn't call for converts. He calls for disciples. He's not looking for just people who say, I have faith. He's looking for followers. So this is why it's a hard message to preach, because I look at my own life and I say, wow, I really like the one-time declaration. But the daily decisions are really, really hard. You know what gets in the way? Everything. Everything gets in the way. My broken body gets in the way. My twisted soul gets in the way. My wounded spirit gets in the way. Everything gets in the way of day by day, moment by moment, following of Jesus. You know, you see those movies. Um, I like war movies. Not too gory, but I like the, you know, bravado. And you see those 18, 19-year-old kids, and it's before they're sent off. And they're all like, we're going to take the enemy, and woohoo, you know. It's all sort of glory. They're looking at war as glory. And then when they hit the battlefield, and body parts are flying, and blood's coming out, And the fear that they've never known is engage their spirit. They don't know what to do. All of a sudden, it's like, I want my mommy. I mean, that's discipleship following Jesus. It's not a one-time declaration of bravado. Praise God you gave your life to Christ. He just wants it every day. He just wants every moment and every day. Um. I don't have the quote, but uh, I read uh, My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers most days. And Oswald Chambers is a missionary in Palestine in the early 1900s. And he says, discipleship won't cost you something. It'll cost you everything. And Jesus really isn't looking for just give me a little. He wants the whole thing. He wants to be Lord over all. He thinks he's God. It's a little joke. I'd say the big moment, the, it's, it's uh, the big grand moment we, where we declare, God, I'll do anything for you. I'll do whatever it takes. And my guess is most of us have had one of those moments. God, it's everything. And there may be more moments like that coming. But what Jesus is uh, building in us as his church are the daily deaths. The daily deaths. The daily death to independence. The daily death to my rights to be right. 
the daily death to my rights to just take the money that I've earned and do whatever I want with it. The daily deaths that mean I choose uh, God over self. The daily deaths to pleasure when it's available but ungodly. That's discipleship. That's deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And that's, those are the words of Jesus. If anyone wishes uh, to, uh, to follow me, to be my disciple, he must deny himself. That means deny his rights to himself, I think. And it doesn't mean hurt yourself. I mean, we're not into, what's the thing where you hurt yourself? Masochism? Yeah, we're, we're not there, okay? I'm not talking about those, those crazed followers of, of other gods who will beat themselves thinking, I'm getting a reward in heaven for this. No. You don't need to look for suffering. <laughs> It'll find you. Because we live in a broken world. Deny yourself means deny your rights to yourself. It means say many times no to what I want and yes to what God wants. In other words, said by many people better than me, it's not about me. Right? Max Lucado has a book titled, It's Not About Me. The subtitle of the book, it's something like um, getting rid of the life that you thought would make you happy or something like that. Yeah, it really draws you to it, doesn't it? He says, if Christ is the center, then everything changes. In other words, if this whole deal is about him and not about me, then everything changes. No longer do you live to serve you, you live to serve him. You strive not to fulfill your will, but his. No longer do you demand your way, but you seek his way. Your aim is not your pleasure, but his honor. You're no longer the master of your domain. God is. Your first question is not, what do I want to do today? But rather, what is God doing and how can I be a part of it? Wait, right there. uh, Scientists, history people, Copernicus, remember the guy? That guy. (laughs) Copernicus was the guy, you know, after what, 14, 15 centuries of the entire world assuming that the, the, the earth was the center of the universe and the sun went around it. He was the guy who said, hmm, after serious consideration, in spite of the fact that you'll probably kill me for it, I'm pretty sure it's not all about us. I'm pretty sure the world revolves around the sun. And so Max Lucado goes on to say, could a Copernican shift be in order today? Perhaps our place is not at the center of the universe. As John Piper writes, God does not exist to make much of us. We exist to make much of him. I mean, the point is, who's this all about? Who's this really for? I said it last week, the Christian faith is not primarily for you in order to make your life work out. That is not the main goal. Sometimes that's an added benefit. Here's the deal. God will take care of all your issues. Eventually. Of course, you'll be dead at the time. But you'll be truly alive. Because you'll be in heaven. This momentary time. Paul says these momentary afflictions, 2 Corinthians 4, have, have in no way outweigh the incredible stuff we got coming. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Luke throws in a real zinger on this one. Luke 9.23. You know, Mark and Matthew both say deny yourself, but Luke, Luke, Luke must be an extremist or something. Because he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. 
after extensive work in the Greek language, I found out what daily means. Every day. <laughs> Every day. That's Luke's, that's Luke's point. You know? It's not like, it's Sunday and I'm the pastor, so I better get up and really do this cross thing. Every day. Take up your cross daily. Take up for, in their understanding, the implement of your death, the instigator of the utmost pain, Take it up. And he doesn't say bear the cross. It's not what the scripture says. It doesn't say bear the cross. In other words, Paul, uh, uh, Peter is not, Jesus is not saying to Peter here, just take it when, it, when it when I give it to you. He's actually saying deny yourself and every day pick up your cross. It's a choice. I mean, do you realize that really makes it different? Again, we're not looking for suffering. It will come. But what it does mean is there will come times in our lives, maybe daily, where we look down two roads and we will literally have to choose the one that suffering stands in. It's not just I'm having a bad day, but I can bear it. It's not what it's about. Discipleship is this. I'm at a fork in the road and Jesus says, go left. And I see suffering. And he says, choose it. Take it. Walk it. It's not just accepting what comes when it's hard, but actually choosing the road of suffering when God calls you to it. Moses. Moses is an example in the Old Testament of New Testament discipleship. I mean, Moses was a wreck, right? I, love, I saw a sign one time outside of a country church. It says um, something like, you might be a basket case, but so was Moses or something like that. And I don't know. In other words, if you're screwed up, you, you know, you, God can still use you. Forget it. Um, this is what uh, the writer of Hebrews says about Moses, the man of God. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Remember the story of Moses. Born of Hebrew parents, all the firstborns were going to be killed by Pharaoh. Mom makes a quick basket, tosses it down the river, picked up by Pharaoh's daughter. He's raised in the court of the king. But it says, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. He looked to the reward. What was the reward? I mean, in, in Hebrews 11, we're not talking about people who usually found their reward on earth. These people are those who were, who were living on earth with an eye towards the reward in heaven. They got it. This is not just about making my life good. This is about exalting the one who gave his life for me that I might live forever. That's what discipleship looks like. <clears throat> I want to read from John Piper. I'm just going to tell you right now, um, this is a book you need to read. It's called Desiring God, John Piper. This is Meat. This is meat. This isn't easy. You won't like it. It's actually all about pleasure, but he's a strange way of doing it. <laughs> it's all about pursuing pleasure in God as the ultimate pleasure. His thesis here, God is most glorified in me when I'm most satisfied in him. So it's all about being filled by God, but he's got an eternal perspective on it. Here's what Piper says. <clears throat> 
The suffering that comes is part of the price of living where you are in obedience to the call of God. In choosing to follow Christ in the way he directs, we choose all that this path includes under his sovereign providence. Thus, all suffering. I'm not going into, you know, what's the difference between persecution and cancer. All right. What I'm saying is all suffering. All suffering that comes in the path of obedience is suffering with Christ and for Christ whether it's cancer or conflict. And it is chosen, that is, we willingly take the path of obedience where the suffering befalls us, and we do not murmur against God. I should just put the book down. And we do not murmur against God. We may pray, as Paul did, that the suffering be removed, but if God wills, we embrace it in the end as part of the cost of discipleship and the path of obedience on the way to heaven. I mean, we're a kingdom now people, right? God comes in power. He heals the sick. He raises the dead. And yet we're between the kingdoms. It's not fully here yet. So we're a kingdom not yet people. That means when suffering comes, we ought to go after it to get rid of it. And at the same time, if God chooses it, if God wills it, bear it with him in mind, looking to the future reward, not just the easy life. There's a difference between uh, believing Jesus and following him. In the, um, in the, in the times of Jesus, uh, Jesus was a rabbi. And in those times, uh, you know, rabbis would pop up. They were teachers and they would call disciples to follow them. And uh, there was a phrase that they used uh, about a follower, the, what kind of follower a follower was, a disciple of a rabbi. And what they said was this. He follows in the dust of the rabbi. And the concept is this, that the disciple was so close to the rabbi that literally the dust kicked up by his feet got on their clothes. That was the concept. So when Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, he's talking about that type of discipleship. So close that when the dust of Jesus' feet uh, gets kicked up, it clothes us. Here's what that means for us real practically. It means we don't get to stand back and say, Jesus, what are you doing today? Healing day? I'm right there. Good. Oh, what's today? Suffering? Um, I got a Starbucks appointment at nine. We don't get to do that. Not if we're right in the dust of the rabbi's feet. If we're following that close, we're looking to, to, to do what he does. Literally to do what he does. When, Peter says to, uh, when Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan... Another thing that he's saying there is, listen, you don't get to lead. You get to follow. Don't tell me what my business is. (laughs) Jesus wants you all up in his business, all right? It's just he wants you right behind him in his business because he's doing what the Father's doing. So my question this morning, are you following so close to Jesus that his dust is on you? Or is there any part in your heart, and I'm just talking to me too, is there any part in our hearts that says, you know what, I'd just like to see the dust settle? Let's find out where he lands before I say yes. Following Jesus is not a one-time declaration. It's daily decisions. Thousands and thousands of daily decisions. A.W. Tozer, you've probably heard the quote. I don't have it there. But he says, the most important thing about you is what comes into your mind when you think about God. Right? 
In other words, he's saying what's most important is how you conceive of the Holy One who created you. So I just wonder if the second most important thing about you is what fills your mind when your feet hit the floor the first thing in the morning. What's, what, what comes to mind the first time your feet hit the floor? Is it Jesus? What kind of day are we looking at here? Because I'm going to try to protect myself from any difficulty. Or is it Jesus? Where are you going today? Because I'm right on your heels. What are you doing today? You got glory today? Let's do it. You got suffering today? Amen. Let's go after it. I've got to bear something today. I'm going to bear it with your, with your presence in me. We're going to heal the sick today. I'm going to do it because your spirit's in me. It's not about just figuring life out to make it right. It's literally about following the king of kings. The one who's bringing the kingdom eventually and completely. It really depends on what your goal in life is. Is it a life that works well apart from hardship? Or is it to follow Jesus wherever he leads? What is the gospel that we preach? And this gets to me because I preach the gospel, right? But what is the gospel that we preach? Do we preach a gospel to those we love, those in need, that says, here's Jesus, he'll take care of all your stuff. I love John 10.10. I come that they might have life and have it abundantly. Apparently, Americans have a different definition for abundance than Jesus does. Because Jesus says, and a part of that is suffering. A part of that is, Paul literally says, filling up in my body the afflictions of Jesus. Isn't that a wild thought? That we have some part of filling up in, in, in our bodies the afflictions of Jesus. It doesn't mean that Jesus' death on the cross wasn't enough. That's not the point. But the way that Jesus proclaimed salvation was by death. And the way his followers will let people know of his death is by our death. Do you realize that our suffering preaches the gospel to people? Our suffering preaches the gospel to people. I'd rather preach the gospel of power, and I'll do it every time I can. But what an attitude shift if I realize that my suffering, my difficulty, my mystery buttons, my question marks also preach the gospel. And just for the fun of it, I'll throw one that'll really ring you up. I, I can't even remember this passage and I wasn't going to say it, but here it goes. Revelation, I think it's Revelation 4. There's a passage where John, inspired by God, says, essentially, the kingdom doesn't come in its fullness until the, uh, the number of the martyrs are filled up. Anybody know that one? Yeah, it's not one you want to camp on. Is it possible that literally the gospel won't be preached to every nation until there are a certain number of people who show what following Jesus looks like by giving their lives as even unto death? I'm not going to have a big martyrdom call here today. I've actually been at those conferences, all right? I went up. Jane was not happy about it. That's not the point. The point is this. Can we see the suffering that God sometimes calls us to choose as a way that we proclaim the gospel without murmuring. Not that we're looking for suffering, but when it comes our way and we choose it, we walk down the path of obedience to Jesus and we say, yes, Jesus, I can feel your dust. I'm right here. All your power. Paul had his thorn in the flesh. He said he asked the Lord to take it away. And the Lord's response was, my power is perfect in your weakness. 
I got a lot of place for perfected power in my life. And you probably do too. I'm not saying we don't go after healing. We go 100% after healing all the time. We just get let God decide what that healing looks like and when it comes. Does that make sense? We live in the now and the not yet. Or do we preach the gospel to people that says, Jesus died for you to give you abundant life and eternal life. He'll fill you with righteousness, peace, and joy. And the fruit of the Spirit in you, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You'll get it all. And oh yeah, you want to follow the suffering servant, you'll suffer too. In fact, it's a guarantee. Do we preach that gospel? When uh, we worked overseas with refugees, there was a mentor of mine on the team. And we saw a lot of Muslims come to Christ. A lot of them. And uh, I I can remember one day we're sitting in our little uh, coffee shop that we had for refugees to be at. And he's talking to this Iranian who's just about to give his life to Christ. And I'm thrilled. I'm like, this is amazing. People coming out of Islam. Guy had a heavenly vision. He's giving his life to Jesus. This is what it's all about. I'm the next Apostle Paul. You know? And Scott starts telling him the cost. He starts, this is what he says. He says, do you realize what's going to happen after you make this decision? And I'm like, Scott, it's nice. You know, it's like a used car salesman say, why don't we really check underneath to make sure what's going on? Because it smells bad. I'm like, are you kidding me? He starts starts naming it. Uh, You'll probably lose your friends. It's likely your family will disown you and never talk to you. You will be under threat of death. There's no guarantee at all that you'll get a visa to America or Canada, Australia, just because you say, I love Jesus. In fact, the likelihood that your life will get more difficult is great. Now, do you want to follow Jesus? I'm like, wow. You know what that is? That's the whole gospel. That's the whole gospel. That's kingdom now and on its way. That's power, glory. That's cross and crown. And I just think that we're called by God to preach the whole gospel. The whole gospel. It's not about a one-day declaration. It's not about getting converts in the door, signatures on something. It's about disciples. It's about followers. Right in the dust of the rabbi, into the power and into the suffering. Let me just finish with this verse. Oh, I've gone long. Hebrews, 11, uh, Hebrews 12. This is the how. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit apply it to you because I didn't get to that part yet. <laughs> But this is the how. This is the power source. Here's the method for actually denying yourself daily, taking up your cross, and following Jesus. Writer of Hebrews, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, not on making my life work, not on figuring out all my problems. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Why did he endure the cross? Joy was on the other side. Joy was on the other side. Heaven was on the other side. His motivation was heaven, not earth. He brought heaven to earth. But when he went through suffering, he was looking to heaven. For the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. He didn't like it any more than we do. It's okay to hate suffering as long as you say yes to it. (laughs) Why is that funny, Brian? (laughs) It's okay to not like it. 
Just as long. I mean, Jesus didn't like it. Remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? Hey, if there's any other way to do this, let's go with plan B. Oh, there is no plan B. Then take me. Because I want your will, not my will. Because I got joy set before me. Scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of God. And as we walk through suffering, consider him who enduring such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. When we're in the midst of it, eyes on Jesus. Joy set before them. Consider him. It's not human zeal and muster up your moral strength. It's say, Jesus, I'm following you. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, if it's power or if it's suffering, I'm with you. I'm yours. I'm your disciple. Let's, uh, let's pray. Why don't you stand up? Uh, ushers can come forward and we'll um, prepare for communion. <clears throat> Father, would you release to us today the heart of a disciple, the passion, the understanding of your love and your commitment that we too, Lord, might be demonstrators of the gospel, not just with power, not just with healing, not just with abundance in our lives, but Lord, in the times of scarcity and weakness and difficulty and pain. Lord, give us grace to proclaim the gospel of love, empowered and emblazoned, even sometimes with suffering. We ask, Lord, that uh, the faith of the early disciples would be ours, the early church, who overcame the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives even unto death. We pray in Jesus' name.